Good evening, everybody. So good to see you tonight here at All Seasons for our series we're doing on 1 Samuel. Um, I know so far, and we've decided to go through this book by telling the stories of the main characters of this book. It's one of the ways you can walk through 1 Samuel and get a good understanding of what it's trying to say and, and what it's speaking as it, as it goes through. And so we've dealt with Hannah, we've dealt with Samuel, we've dealt with Hophni and Phinehas, we've dealt with uh, Eli, and, and we've dealt with Samuel. Tonight we're going to deal with one of the key figures in the whole book. And it doesn't seem like it because this is somebody usually we just throw off and we, uh, we talk about, oh, you know, they were a bad king or they were, they were just a bad person. And man, they, they tried to kill David. And... But the story of Saul is the key hinging point for this whole book. In fact, he runs all the way from chapter 10 to the end of chapter 31, to the whole book. We have within this a whole story of a man's life. And it gives us a beautiful picture of what the book is trying to say and, and, and where different figures fall in this book. Let me explain it this way. When I was young, uh, one of the things that, that we did, we got the Clarion Ledger every day. And my dad would read the paper. Of course, I was not going to get the sports page because that's the first thing that got taken out, taken out. And, and I wasn't going to get a chance to, to, to see all the other stuff. Didn't care about the regular news. But there was one part of that that to you may seem weird, but to me was cool during the time when I would read the paper. And it was the obituaries. And you have to understand, it was not like just a little clip or anything like this. The obituaries in the paper years ago was something very important. Families would take time to, to write out whole uh, paragraphs, half-page type things. And, and, the, and the more prominent the person, the bigger the picture would be of them in the paper. And so you would have this picture of this person when they were at their prime or, or when, when they, you would have known them by what they looked like. And then you would have this whole article about their life and, and everything they did, whether they were a teacher or a fireman or in the military, and, and it would just go through their entire life. And it was so cool because some of these people, you're like, man, I'd like to have met that person. That, just from hearing about that person, that, was, that must have been a cool, uh, a really awesome person. And so in my time, I love doing that. Not knowing that one day that would be one of the gifts that God has given me through the years is I get asked to do a lot of funerals or, or families that we're connected to in, in any slight way. Hey, pastor, will you do the funeral? And, and that's an honor to me because understand it this way. Here's the way I see every person. Every person is a bad person. Just by our nature, nobody has to teach us to do bad. Nobody has to, it's in us. But yet at the same time, every one of us has a dream, a desire, a, a pull, a push, and I'll talk about that, that, that we want to do something good. We want to be a good parent. We want to be a, a, a good at our job. We want to be, and so in our lives, we, we come in with all these flaws and all these issues and all this that we're walking through and, and wrestling through through our lives, attitude, whatever it might be. And yet at the same time, within us, God has put eternity. God has put this desire to do something good, to do something great. And so we wrestle with this. And so many times I'm asked to do sermons and, and, and just to sum up their life, just to be able to see their life as one sentence. 
one phrase. What was it they were trying to do? What was it about their life that stuck out? Well, with Saul, it's not complicated. And I'm going to use clothes to be kind of the illustration for Saul. It's the clothes that Saul had on that made him who he was. And so I've entitled this, this thought tonight, They have given me clothes I couldn't wear. They have given me clothes I couldn't wear. Go with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 31, verses 1 through 7. And so really tonight, what I, I want to do is, is give the eulogy. If I was standing in front of you and, and, and Saul's bones were sitting there and, and we were going to give his final eulogy, here's what I would say about this man. First, I have to tell you how he died. Well, how, how did he die? Well, it was, it was horrible. It was not the way you would think a king should go out. But it was something that, because of his life, it was inevitable. And here's what the Bible says. Now, the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilbo. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadad and Malshishu, Malshishu, the sons of Saul. And the battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him. Remember now, Saul is this, is this six foot five to seven foot tall. He's head and shoulders above everybody, 285. I mean, he, he, is, he is a massive man. This is, he's, he's not just getting shot one time with an arrow. There, there are multiple. The arrows, the archers fire like you see in those movies, and, 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 and several of them hit him. And mortally, the Bible says, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Not an archer, the archers. Here's this mighty man, this first king of Israel. And Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. And Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor bearer, and all of his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel, who were on the other side of the valley, and those beyond the Jordan, saw that the men of Israel had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled. And the Philistines came and lived in them. What a horrible eulogy to put in the clarion ledger. This is what happened to him. This is what took place. This is the way it ended for this king, Saul. The question really in life that takes us where we're going to go is, is what motivates you? What drives you? What is the, what is the force that, that makes you do what you do? In other words, there, there, there are two types of people that are, that are moving in the world. There are those who goals are success. They, they get up and, man, my goal is to be here. My goal is one day to own the house. My goal is one day to be debt-free. My goal, and so they, they are driven by their goals in life. 
And those goals that have been set before them, good, bad, whatever, it is what drives or motivates their life. The second group is those that operate out of a fear of failure. Their, their whole mindset is, I don't want to fail. I don't want to fail my parents. I don't want to fail anybody. I don't, I don't want people to look at me as a failure. I, I'm, I'm driven by this, by this fear that I won't succeed, this fear that, that and, and neither one of them are right or wrong. It's just a matter of which one pulls or pushes at you. Now, that's more important, whether you are pulled or pushed. Because being pulled simply means this. I'm heading toward a destination. In other words, I'm being pulled by this desire to get here. And each day I get up, I'm pulled. And each day I get up, I'm excited about what's going on and where I'm supposed to go. And man, I'm heading that way. I'm moving forward. Then there's the other group that their mindset, and maybe this is you, I'm always feeling like I'm being pushed. I feel like Okay, Tim, get up now. We got to do this. It's not that I want to. It's not that I'm excited. I just got to get it done. It, it, come on now. We got to go to work. Come on now. We, we got to get these kids ready. Come on. We got to. And so you have these either pull or pushes. And many times in our life, we're, we're switching between the two. But listen to me. If all you ever do is push, if all you ever feel like in your life is I'm being pushed, or I'm having to push to do something that if I had a choice, I'd be sitting down. I would not be doing this. Then you tire out and you get weary and you quit or you give up or you choose something different. When we talk about the story of, of Saul, this is a man who's always felt like he's been pushed. It's not that he woke up one day and we we criticize him, but he didn't wake up one day and say, I'm going to be the king. I've got this great dream of being a king. No, listen to me as we start the story, and let me walk you through the eulogy, the life of this man, through clothes. Chapter 10, verses 6 through 10 says this. 1 Samuel, chapter 10, verses 6 through 10. When the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon, then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and turn into another man. Now, when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then God, then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass in that very day. When they came to Gibeah, Behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. This is the way his calling started. This is how it began with him. He's this guy that, that, that is just going out looking for his father's donkeys. He, he's looking for, working for his dad, and he's got his servant with him, and, and they hear about a prophet, and they hear about a seer, and they're trying to find these animals, and, 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 and all this is going on, and yet at the same time, he has no idea that God has picked him to be the first king of Israel. It's not that he's the most equipped. It's not that he's great spiritually, because when we read this story very carefully, he didn't even know who Samuel was. 
He wouldn't have recognized Samuel. He was not a religious person. He was not, he was just somebody who was six foot five. He was the captain of the football team. He had all the qualities. He was the strongest. He was the mightiest. He was, he was, if you took a picture and said, here's what our king should look like, he was it. And because of that, and God knew they would accept him because he looked like a king and, and he represented them well, which is what they wanted. Give us a king. We're tired of following just God. We want a king like everybody else. And so here's this man that's coaxed into and told, look, this is fixing to happen. And he says, go wait seven days before we we announce and and we promote all this. Samuel says, tell him, you go down. And in seven days, I'll be there. Let's look what this man looked like after seven days. Here he is prophesying. The Spirit of God comes on him. Man, he's, he's, I mean, everything seems to be looking good. Now go with me to verses 22 through 24. Seven days later, here's what we find. So they inquired again of the Lord. In other words, what has happened? Samuel has told them, all right, let's pick our king. And he has all the tribes pass. And he says, no, Benjamin is the tribe. And he has all the uh, families go, no, this is the family, the family that Saul's involved in. And as they go through, he finally gets to Saul. And he says, Saul's the man. And here's, here's the problem. Saul is not there. Saul's not in the group. And here's why. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? In other words, are we missing somebody? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him? Whom the Lord has chosen, there is none like him all among the people. And he wasn't lying. He's the best you got. And all the people shouted, long live the king. This guy's life in seven days goes from looking for donkeys for his dad to now he is the king of Israel. And it's not something that he gets excited about. It's not something he's just like, all right, man, this is what I've always wanted. No, when, when they are passing by and he knows this is going on, he is hiding out and thinking, I don't want none of this. But yet he's the most qualified. And the people demand it. So through Samuel, God says, here he is. Here's your man. He's got the clothes, but listen, they gave him clothes he couldn't wear. They gave him clothes. They demanded it. They want, Samuel had warned them. He said, if you get a king, here's what's going to happen. This king's going to take your sons to war. This king's going to, to, to require 10% of what you have to. You're going to have to pay for his living. You're going to have to pay for, for all of this. He says, you're going to have to do all these things if that's the king you want, a fleshly king. And, and if he's a bad or, or a mediocre person or just a normal person, he's going, to, he's going to do things you're not going to like. We don't care. Long live the king. Go with me to chapter 11. And in chapter 11, as we don't have time to, to go through all the verses, but this is the story of where Saul is 
is really inaugurated. He earns his stripes. Because at this time, people's like, uh, I'm, I'm not going to. Because people did what they wanted to do. That's what Judges ends by saying, is that every man did what was right in his own eyes. So, so even being over these people is not exactly being over these people. They, they're still a mixed match bunch. And so all of a sudden, there's this problem. And so in, in, in the city of Jabesh Gilead, they were being attacked by the Ammonites. And they realize that the Ammonites have them outnumbered and they can't defeat them. And so they go and they say, what can we do? What, what kind of peace treaty? What can we do to, to, to go under you? We'll be your servants, but what do we have to do? And the Ammonites were very specific on what they wanted. They said, we want every man to poke out his right eye. If every one of your men will poke out their right eye to signify that you are surrendering, then we will do it. Well, they knew what that meant. See, when you fight, you hold the shield here, and it covers here, and you got your sword here, and it's with your right eye that you actually see. So if I, I don't have my right eye, when I got the shield up, I don't see anything. I'm blinded. It seems real simple, like that, that, that changes everything. In ancient times, if they captured a king and they didn't want to kill the king, they just wanted to humiliate the country and different things, they would bring him back and they would just cut off his thumbs. Because they understood that if we cut off his thumbs, he can never hold a sword again. He will never be able to fight against us again. So the men of Jabesh Gilead, the, the, the city understood what this meant. And they said, well, look, we've got to think about this. We, we've, we've, got to, we've got to... And what they did, they sent reports out and they, and, they, and they sent word and it got back to Saul and Saul was plowing in a field he didn't have a kingdom he didn't have a throne he didn't have he, he was the king but but how do I establish this the Bible says he heard what was happening and the spirit of the Lord came upon him and when it did he tore the oxen and he broke it into pieces and he sent it throughout the country and he says, if you don't follow Saul and you don't come help me fight these people and we don't fight together, then I'm going to tell you something, your oxen are going to end up the same way. And man, he had a crowd come. And so the people of Jabesh Gideon decided, they said, okay. And they got word that Saul's coming. So they told this army, they said, listen, tomorrow it, in the middle of the day, we will come out and, and we will do this. And they were like, good. What they didn't know is that in the middle of the day, Saul would be there by then. And when they had our whole army down in the valley and wasn't prepared and wasn't thinking about it, all of a sudden from every corner came Saul and his army. And it was a great victory. And it established Saul as the king. Now we move to chapters 13 through 15. This is the hard part of that. If, if it was just as simple as, as fighting, he could, have, he could have been like one of the judges, but he's a king. So he's making decrees, he's making laws, he's making rules. He's... And so chapters 13 through 15, we have this season where Saul is fighting wars and doing things, but he's also losing favor with God. Saul operates so much of his life out of self-will. He is pushing He's trying. Instead of being led by God, he's trying to push. And I'm just trying to do it. 
And when you're pushing and pushing before long, it becomes personal. It becomes your identity. It becomes, it's mine. It's mine. Not, not, because, not because I love it, not because, but it's mine. It's like, it's like I've, I've got to do this. I've got to pay for it. I've got to mow the grass. Do you mow the grass because you want your yard to look? No, it's mine. And I've I got to make it. It's going to look horrible if I don't. And, 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 and this is Saul. He's wearing clothes that they gave him. And we see then through this story that the first battle that comes against the Philistines in chapters 13 through 15, he, he, he won't wait on Samuel. He's supposed to wait for the seven days, and Samuel's going to come and bless them and do a sacrifice, and then they're going to go out and wipe out the Philistines. But Saul won't do it. Before the whole seven days is over, Saul gets nervous. The people are starting to talk and chatter, and, Paul can, and Saul can't stand this. And so Saul just simply says, bring me the sacrifice. I'll do the sacrifice. When Samuel gets there, he's like, what have you done? Well, I couldn't wait on you. We didn't know if you were coming. And the people were starting to get itchy. He said, Saul, because of what you've done, just understand this, you've lost the first thing. Your kingdom will not run through your families. It'll end with you. The way you govern is not what God wants you to pass on to the next generation. We see later the bigger story. In fact, Jonathan, during this battle, the Philistines, Saul doesn't really want to fight him. He's, he's mostly scared most of the time because he's operating out of flesh. I don't want to do no more than I have to do. If I had a choice, I'd just sit right here. And that's what he does most of the time. But Jonathan, his son, sees the garrison of the Philistines and says, man, let's see if we can't get an inroad in this fight. We can overrun their garrison, man. So he takes his servant and Saul has done told everybody, just stay right here. But Jonathan goes on. Him and his servant, they take on the garrison and that's a whole story. But basically Jonathan comes up the hill and he gets to the garrison. They said, come on up. And when he does, he, he wipes out in a quarter acre, he wipes out 20 men. It's a fight. And his servant's right behind him, stabbing him as he goes. It's, it's just an incredible fight. And there's noise, and, and everybody begins to think, whoa, what's going on over here? And wars done broke out, and he gets so nerve-wracking, and God gets in the middle of it to where they turn on each other, and they start fighting, and Saul's like, what's going on? And, and he says, your son is already out there. And, and Saul says, let's go. But it's not Saul's victory, it's Jonathan's. And Saul, in his haste, makes this ridiculous decree nobody eats anything until till the Saul's enemies not not Israel Saul's enemies are wiped out so you got people fighting and not eating not drinking Jonathan when he's coming back doesn't hear this decree he's gone during that time and he sees some honey and he takes some of it and he's refreshed but the word gets back to Saul that your son ate something. And you said everyone eats has to die. And so Saul is this wishy-washy. He just looks and says, well, I guess my son has to die. Jonathan, you got to die. And the men rise up and say, no, 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 no. We're not going to let you do that. Once again, it's a man with the wrong clothes. We see this later when 
the Amalekites. And Samuel says, okay, Saul, here's the job. I need you to go in and I need you to wipe out everything, every piece of cattle, everything, every, I'm talking about wipe. We don't need no remnants of Amalekites left. We don't need any piece of, we don't want any, any part of it. God says, it's got to go totally. Okay. Very shortly we hear Samuel coming back and talking to Saul. Saul, what do I hear? Do I hear sheep? Do I hear goats? Am I hearing cows? Am I, what, what am I listening to, Saul? And, and, and Saul says, well, we just want to keep the best. Who is that over there, Saul? Well, that's Agag, the king. I, I, I just wanted to kind of bring him back just for sport. Saul, because you would not listen to God, God now is going to rip the kingdom up from you. Because you won't listen, God's going to remove you. You see, Saul is not a, a, a horrible person. He's a bad person, like we all are. But he's trying to do a good thing in his flesh. And because he's trying to do it in his flesh, he doesn't have the character to push it. He doesn't have the ability. He doesn't have the stamina. He doesn't have... It's too much to push. And since he won't let God lead him, it always heads him into more trouble. He won't let God pull him along. The next time we see Saul in chapter 17, this is the story of Goliath. In chapter 17, verses 10 and 11, we read this. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that may fight, that we may fight together. When Saul, notice, and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. It trickles down. If your leader is a, is a, a fearful, fleshly person, it's going to run all the way through your ranks. Saul, who was supposed to go out and defeat this giant, Saul, who was the one called and anointed to do it, not anymore. Now there's a young boy who comes. His name is David. Just like Jonathan before in the anointing and the power of God wins the battle, all of a sudden now we see David doing what Saul cannot do. Go with me to verse 37 and 38. But here's Saul's mindset. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go in these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. It's a funny thing. Saul hasn't tested them either. He's got all the garb. He's got all of this. But he's not taking it and going in a fight Goliath. He's willing to take my clothes and put it on someone else because I, don't, I can't wear this. I can't, I can't feel comfortable. I can't put this armor on myself, David, and go down there and fight Goliath. Even though on me it fits and I am this massive man that God could anoint and it would be no problem for me, but I'm afraid. So instead, this little boy with nothing but a sling and a rock 
takes down an enemy that the king himself is sitting in his tent with his armor on the floor, afraid to fight. Chapter 18 or chapter 19, we'll see him again with his clothes. And this is one of the most pivotal stories of the whole life of Saul. In his obituary that we're reading tonight, in his obituary that we're putting in with his picture, this story is the, is the catalyst. This is the last time God will move on Saul and try desperately to get him to work. See, God's plan was not to kill Saul. God's plan was not to wipe out Saul. God's plan was, Saul, you're not the man. But I'm going to give you a son-in-law who's the man. I'm going to bring somebody into your family who's the man, and here's what you can do. You can start grooming him. You can start working with him. You can start realizing that this is what's going to happen, and this is what's supposed to happen, and you can quit fighting it and quit trying to be the pusher and just let me lead you and realize that you're going to finish your course, but this guy's going to come and do greater things. But Saul can't do that. God gives him this one last opportunity, and here's how it looks. Now David fled and escaped. This is when Saul has thrown a spear against the wall because the spirit comes on him and he realizes David's the man. But it's, it, instead of embracing it, he, he's, he's like, oh, i got to kill him. He's my enemy. He's my enemy. Not my son-in-law. Not someone who else is here to help me grow the kingdom of God for Israel. No, he's my enemy. And so David escapes, and he came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And, and, and Samuel went and lived in, in Naoth. And it was told Saul, behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. And Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing his head over them, the Spirit of the Lord came upon them and the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. They came with their swords and they're like, we're going to come to take David. And when they got close to the city and Samuel standing there prophesying and praying and they're having a worship service, all of a sudden the Spirit of God comes on them. They drop their swords. They start having a worship service. They go back and tell Saul, Saul, I'm telling you, man, God is all up in this. You can't touch this. What do you think Saul does? When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again, the third time, the Bible says. And they also prophesied. Everybody keeps coming back saying, David's going to be the king. I'm telling you, there's an anointing. There's a... And he himself then went to Ramah and came to the great well of Siku, and he asked, where are Samuel and David? Like, like he didn't know. He's sent three groups. They've come back telling him exactly where they are. He's just trying to be king. Like, where are Samuel and David? And one said, behold, they are at Ramoth and Ramah. Namoth and Ramah. And he went there to Naoth in Ramah. And the Spirit of God came upon him. And as he went, he prophesied. God says, you can't go any further in your flesh. You get any closer, and you're going to speak what you know is the truth. And listen, the Spirit of God came upon him also, and he went as he prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. And then he did what? And two stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel and lay naked all day and all that night 
Thus it is said, is Saul also among the prophets? No. No, there's a lot of people that, that come to altars and have these emotional moments and have these emotional seasons and, and they can't help but tell the truth because they're in the presence of God. But then all of a sudden, as soon as they walk away and go back to their seat, that flesh rises up again. And that flesh, and this is what happens to Saul. God is like, Saul, will you just finally quit fighting me? Will you finally just be led by me? I'm trying to lead you, Saul. Can you tell? I can overwhelm you with my presence. and I can. But what I want is you to follow. I want you to be led. I don't, quit pushing. Quit operating out of fear. Operate out of a vision, a purpose. Give your strength to something because it's noble and it's good. Don't operate out of fear that like somebody's trying to get something from you, but he can't. This is the last time God will move on him like this and show openly, Saul, here's the plan. But Saul will have none of it. In chapter 24, We have a story of David being still chased. Saul goes into a cave to use the restroom. Guess who's in the cave hiding? David. He could have easily just cut his throat right there, but he doesn't. Notice what he does as you turn there. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said this, Is this your voice, my son, David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. What was he crying about? David, instead of cutting his throat in the cave, cut off a piece of his clothes. It's his clothes. And when Saul had left and gone back down, David comes out and holds up his clothes and says, If I'd wanted to kill you, I could have. But I love you. And this is where Saul cries. Verse, verse 18. You have declared this day how you have dealt well with me in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, listen, it isn't a mindset that Saul doesn't know. Here's what he says. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be the king. And that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. He said, I know this, but you're my enemy. I can't let this go. He said, swear to me therefore by the Lord that you will not cut off my offspring after me. And that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. You won't kill Jonathan and the kids. And you won't kill my wives. And you won't kill. And David's like, I've got no desire. I married your daughter. Saul is so bent. So bent on pushing and operating out of the fear of failure that he doesn't realize that he's doing it to himself. That he's doing it to himself. Chapter 26, the same kind of story happens, except this time David sneaks in. God puts a deep sleep And you can read this in chapter 26, verses 12 through 13, where they go into a deep sleep and David sneaks in and and just basically walks up to his bed and, and could have killed him again. But instead he takes a spear and he takes his jug of water. When he screams out from the other side of the hill, 
He, he holds it up and lets Saul know once again, I could have killed you. And Saul once again says, oh, you're a better man than me. And, 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 but it's the same concept. Once again, he takes personal things. I took your spear. I've taken a piece of your clothes. I've ta- Saul, don't you realize they're not yours? Quit acting like the clothes that you have on are yours. They gave them to you. Then in chapter 28, he gets close to the death of Saul. Saul, the Philistines have gathered again to battle. David can't save him because he's run David off and he's in Ziglag. He's he's not there to help him anymore. He's pretty much pushed himself into a corner and the thing that he was called to do to defeat the Philistines, he's not the man now to do it. And so here's what we see in chapter 28, verses 5 through 8. Then Saul saw the army of the Philistines and he was afraid. There's that word again. And his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. When Saul said to his servants, seek out me a woman who is a medium. Now he's done past the law that all these people will be killed. He knows there's still some around because he hasn't done a great job of, of weeding all of that out. He said, find me one that I may go to her and inquire of her. He needs to hear from somebody. And his servant said to him, behold, there's a medium and indoor. They knew where one was. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments. Once again, takes off the clothes and tries to put on clothes and camouflage himself. He goes to this woman by night. The story is very simple. He goes and he says, I want you to raise somebody up for me. I want you to to, to let me talk to somebody from the other side. She says, you know, we're not supposed to do. He said, it's okay. It's okay. You'll be all right. She says, I see him coming. And and, and he says, what do you see? I see godly creatures. I see godly. He said, what else do you see? He said, I see an old man. He said, that's Samuel. I know who that is. That's Samuel. That's who I want to talk to. And Samuel comes up and he tells Saul, why are you bothering me? Why are you disturbing my rest? Why are you disturbing me? I'm at at rest. I'm at peace. He says, because I need to know. I've got the Philistines breathing down my neck and I don't know what to do. And he tells him one last time, Saul, I've told you, but you kept pushing. And now let me just go ahead and make it clear, Saul. Tomorrow you will die. Tomorrow your sons will die. Tomorrow all of you will die. And tomorrow you will be with me in the grave. You can't push it any further. You're out of gas. You're out of energy. There's nothing left. So changing clothes didn't help him. Finally, we get to chapter 31. Now, I read verses 1 through 7. Now I want to read verses 8 through 13 to wrap us up. The next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, 
They found Saul and his three sons fallen at Mount Gilbo. So they cut off the head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news that the house of the idol and, and news to the house of their idols and to the people. And they put his armor, they put his clothes in the temple of Asheroth. And they fastened his body to the wall of Bashan. He finally was relinquished of his clothes. He didn't willingly give them up. He didn't in a spiritual season of his life realize this is not really mine. They're supposed to be David's. Let me help David become. No. It was only when he could go no further and arrows had pierced him and the fear of the Philistines coming caused him to fall on his own sword to kill himself because he was afraid. And here this man that once was the terror of the Philistines, that's why they do this. this isn't, they're not doing this just to be mean. They're, they cut off his head because he's the king that was in charge when their champion, Goliath's head, was cut off. Now we'll hold Saul's head up like Goliath's head was held up. Now we'll take his armor. They took Goliath's sword. Now we'll take his armor, his weaponry, and we'll take it to our God's temple. And we'll display it there to show what our God did to them. And we'll take his body and we'll nail it to the wall so that everybody can see who really, really is the king. This battle, this cutting off his head, this stripping of his armor, it's such a symbol, it's amazing to me Maybe one day I can ask God, it's probably one of the questions I will ask God, did you do this on purpose? Because we have this Saul in the Old Testament, this, this king. And then in the New Testament, we have another man named Saul, who will eventually become who we know as Paul, but his name is Saul. And it's amazing the similarities between them, and I wonder if God didn't do that, because listen very carefully. What was the physical appearance of this Saul? He was six foot five. He was, he was seven foot tall. He, he, was mad. he was the man, captain of the football team. And then on the other side, we have this, what we call the spiritual Saul. Not the fleshly. Not the one who operates out of flesh, but this one who has surrendered to God. He is what? The Corinthians said, you're weak in body. You're not, you're not you don't look like a, a speaker. You don't look the part. He was a little person. He was a weaker person. He had bad eyesight, some said, and different things they talk about. But nobody ever talks about Saul, Paul being this person like, I'm telling you, man, he was a man. No. He was any pictures, anything. He's a frail, older, can't physically do it. They both had their same call. Saul, I told you, on, while he was looking for his father's donkeys, he has this call. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. Paul going to on the road to Damascus, has this call. Both become new men. 
Both are touched by the presence of God. Both have good starts. One spends his life pushing. In his flesh, he pushes and he pushes and tries to hold on or tries to stay in control or tries. The other one, the spiritual Paul or Saul, he says, no, I die so that Christ may live. No, this, this, this spiritual one lives out of spirit. He is led. In fact, one time when he's going to Jerusalem, people tell him, don't go, Paul. They're going to kill you. You, you got to know they've got this thing set up. And he says, listen, I go bound by the spirit. In other words, I'm being led by this. I'm being pulled by the spirit to do what I do. I'm not doing this to earn anything. I'm not doing this because I'm trying to force God. I'm doing this because God is leading me there. And if he's leading me there, it'll turn out okay. Both die. Saul dies by what? His own sword. He falls on a sword. He's scared of everything around him, so he falls on a sword. Historians tell us how Paul dies. He dies by the sword. Both Sauls, both of them die by a sword. But this Saul, history says, ran toward the block where the Nero would have beheaded him as a Roman citizen, and would have killed him. But yet one is not afraid, and one dies in his fear. One was stripped naked, pinned to a wall. The other gives up and becomes naked on his own. Why? He says, I count everything that I've ever had. I count everything that I am. He said, I know I'm a Pharisee. I know I'm one of the most educated. I know I've done all that. I know I have the plaques on the wall, but I took all the plaques off. I don't wear the garb. I don't, I don't put on all the robes. I don't. Why? Because I'm willing to strip myself. For what purpose? Here's a man by the flesh that says, I, I, I don't want to lose anything. I want my 401k. I want my retirement. I want, I want this. I want that. I want everything. I want my house. I want my car. I want whatever. And it's mine. And he dies with nothing. And here's a man who says, I'll give it all up. I'll let it all go. Why? Go with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 4, and I'll show you the spiritual Paul's mindset. Or the spiritual soul. Here's what it says. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan longing to put on a heavenly dwelling. Here's what he says. Listen. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. That's what made him so powerful. He says, you can strip me of my earthly stuff. But you can't strip me of my destiny. This one says, I'll give up my destiny to hold on to my fleshly stuff. Jesus had a saying for this later. He would say, those who try to save their life will lose it. 
And those that are willing to lose their life for me, for the kingdom, will find it. Here's what verse 4 says in 2 Corinthians 5. For we are still in this tent. We groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. The story of Saul, the eulogy, the, the sentence I would say over his funeral would be, here lies a man. They gave him clothes. He didn't ask for them. He wasn't some egomaniac. They gave him clothes that he could not wear. Later we'll study about a man by the name of David. We're going to look at Jonathan. These were spiritual men. People God will later say, a man after my own heart. The difference in Saul and these other men is that Saul had the clothes, but not the character. He did not have the ability to allow God to lead him, to guide him, to pull him. He felt like life was always what I got to do, what I need to do, what I'm supposed to do. If you're in this room tonight, and listen to me, it is the most grueling walk of life. It is the most unenjoyable walk in life to feel like every day I got to do this. I got to do that. I've, I don't want to, but it's what I'm supposed to do. It's what, it sounds admirable. But it becomes a long, miserable journey. Well, how do I fix that, Brother Lot? Well, it's simple. The Bible says through Jesus' sermon on the mount, it's not hard. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Surrender. Be pulled by Him. And all these other things will be added unto you. But don't try to add the stuff. And then seek a kingdom. You first seek his kingdom. And then God will add to your life more than you ever imagined. That's the secret. The secret Saul never learned. They gave him clothes. They gave him clothes that he couldn't wear. Will you pray with me? Father, for every person here, for every person listening to this online that is sitting right now listening. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit right now in that room will move on them. Make a new man. Make a new woman. And God, they will for the first time quit pushing. Quit, quit the mindset of, well, I've got to go to church. I, I, I gotta, I've got to do this. I, no. God leads me. God's pulling me. I have to go to church because it's where he is and it's who he, I love and it's where I wouldn't be no matter where anything else was. I, it's, I want to spend time with him. There's a difference. God, let us walk in and enjoy the difference. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.